Alexa, play the Fighting Irish Faithful podcast. Playing Fighting Irish Faithful. Fighting Irish Faithful. It is time. Everything the 2020 Notre Dame football team has worked for has come to this point. We have joined the ACC this year. This is the climax of that. The reckoning. The rematch. Notre Dame versus Clemson this Saturday. You better get up for this game. There is so much on the line this year. The legacy of Notre Dame as an independent now in a conference a rematch against a good team, a Heisman-worthy quarterback, and I'm talking about Ian Book. Let's do this. It is time for this podcast. We're going to first recap last week in college football leading up to the conference championship week, weekend, and explain why this weekend's game is such a big deal. How can Notre Dame avoid disappointment like they have done to us in the past, and what new info have we learned about Clemson since their last meeting, and how can that give Notre Dame an edge as they beat them this weekend? So here we go. Strap it in. Pour yourself a drink. Let's go, Irish. Three wide receivers right. They're going to go for two. Back to throw. Walks, looks, looks, looks. Has the time. Lost the ball. The pass is spit it down. Dawson throws open receiver in the end zone. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Somehow, the Irish did it. Out of the pack, 30, 35. Goodbye, baby. At the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10. Fire, fire, rocket, touchdown, Irish. Zimikowski looking for a block. Touch to the right to the 40. Gets a block, gets to the 45, 50. Up to the 45, 40, 30. One minute to beat, 20, 15, 10. He's down to the five. Touchdown, Irish. What is going on, Fighting Irish Faithful? Welcome to episode 21, the dramatic intro, Notre Dame versus Clemson for the ACC title of 2020. Oh my goodness, uh, this is going to be a fun episode. Been looking forward to this one for a few weeks, actually probably since Notre Dame beat Clemson. So uh, let's get right into it. First, uh, thank you for joining me if you found me on iTunes or Spotify or talking to your smart home speaker, such as Alexa. Uh, Welcome to the Fighting Irish Faithful Show. I am Joe, your humble host, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at faithful underscore Irish. Go ahead and like the show. Uh, Also, we're on YouTube. Uh, Thank you for checking us out there as well. I've got a funny story about the scotch. So, went last week friday with the doc and we went shopping for some christmas decorations and whatnot and we're in the store and i said oh i need a scotch for the week so we're in the store and i find it uh we check out no problem and then i bring it home and it's one of the scotches that was in a box i open up said box and in it has the security ring tag alarm thing now we paid for it i got the receipt and all of that and no alarm went off when we walked out the door with it after paying for it 
and I bring it home and the security device is still on the top. However, check my Twitter. The ring is just around the, the glass. I can, I'm able to open up the cork uh, and pour it, drink it. So this is just now part of the bottle, uh, the little alarm security device. So um, maybe I'll uh, give a big middle finger to the store and say, hey, you guys need to check your stuff better. Uh, and hand them an empty bottle of booze with the security device back on it. So anyway, as we get into the podcast here, I'm going to start real macro, uh, zoom out on the entire landscape that is college football right now, and then we'll zoom in on this Saturday's game. And some of those things from the outside are going to influence the analysis tonight. So first and foremost, just let's start at the top. Alabama, number one in the playoff rankings. They beat the crap out of Arkansas, and this should be no surprise to anyone, 52-3. to When Arkansas was on Notre Dame's original schedule, everyone was saying this is going to be a laydown. Arkansas is not good. They haven't been good for many, many years. 52-3, to Alabama is just, you know, flexing their muscles, and for them it's a glorified practice. North Carolina and Miami. This was a very, very pleasurable game to watch. Uh, me gusta to the... Tar Heels, thank you, and beating the crap out of Miami. Oh my goodness, so much joy in my heart watching them, especially since the most embarrassing moment for me as a Notre Dame fan of recent years was Notre Dame getting their butt kicked in Hard Rock Station in 2017. That came out of left field, came out of nowhere, uh, got very tipsy after that game. Not fun. And to see the tables turned on Miami see their players sad see the fans in the crowd sad just not wanting to be there North Carolina putting up 62 points um, very palindromic 62 to 26 so uh, great 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 uh, die Miami die assuming Notre Dame and Clemson both make the playoffs would that put North Carolina ahead of Miami for, say, the Orange Bowl. Now, Miami does have a better record than North Carolina right now, but North Carolina has the edge over them in the head-to-head. So does that factor in? Who knows? I don't get paid any money to make that kind of decisions or that analysis, Um, and I have a normal job that I go to work for, and I do this in my spare time. So um, more to come on that. We we will find out when uh, this weekend is, is all said and done. LSU and Florida. This is a game I actually wish I had tuned into more. Um, I was checking it out when Florida was ahead, but they were struggling, and LSU was was finally tightening the screws down. They know their season is pretty much done, um, and LSU wins 37-34 over Florida. Florida is unable to tie it at a field goal at the end. Um, it's really nice to see LSU, the Tigers, finally get a win, and uh, Lauren, aren't you happy that Florida lost? So. Uh, there you go. USC defeats UCLA. This is very back and forth, back and forth game and a game I always tune in because I'm originally from Southern California. But quite frankly, UCLA gave this game away. They had so many opportunities that they had squandered. It was very frustrating to see right at the end, UCLA has the lead. They first off, don't kick it in the end zone. Then Brian Pulley, Pulley and pay attention. They don't kick it in the end zone. USC gets a great run back, all right? It's, I felt like I was watching Tim Brown, but in reverse in the wrong uniform. USC's guy runs the ball 
all the way back into UCLA territory. Two plays later, USC scores and and has the game-winning touchdown. It is slightly nice to see Amon Ra St. Brown score, the brother of Equinemius St. Brown. Uh, but still, he's in a USC uniform, which is bullshit. UCLA killed the joy of a trifecta this weekend, which would have been Michigan is dead and done for the year, so good on them. Miami getting their ass kicked, good on that. And then UCLA does not beat USC at the end of the year and and ruin their perfect season. So, nope, that didn't happen. Thanks a lot, UCLA. You let me down once again. IU and Purdue, their game was canceled. However, finding out that today, that game is back on this Friday down in Bloomington. So IU and Purdue will be competing for the Oaken Bucket. It was very frustrating that the game got canceled, but it's back on. Speaking of frustrating, Ohio State. So this is the most conspiracy, most corrupt, you know, kind of like fibers of the BCS clearly are still at work within college football. Is Ohio State a good team? Sure. Should they be allowed to play for the Big Ten? Well, it's really up to the Big Ten. Now, what's bullshit about this is the rules, quote-unquote rules, were modified to allow Ohio State, the flagship team, they're carrying the banner of the Big Ten for all of their conference, they're being now allowed to play for the conference championship, despite the fact that they have a below the average number of games played, which is completely ridiculous. But corruption wins, as we're finding out, and they're going to just go through the motions, play Northwestern, and have have that game. Most likely it will be another win, and Ohio State will have six wins under their belt and then make the playoffs. Even some multiple announcers across multiple networks were commenting on Ohio State being able to play for the Big Ten Championship. And one guy, I forget who it was, I think it was the guy on on FS1, he said that he was decrying this and he said the optics of this look bad. And I agree, this guy is 100% right. It makes you go back to the whole notion of this sort of eye test and people you know, having this perception and, oh, well, this team is clearly better than this team. And then it's all just a bunch of opinionated BS. All right. Why even bother playing games then? Right. Just put Alabama, Ohio State and Clemson. Everyone's three favorite. Everyone's like, oh, clearly they're the best three. Just put them in there and have the remaining 120 teams just fight it out for that last fourth spot in the playoffs. Right. Is that really what they want to do? Because that's certainly what it's looking like, and they're certainly stacking the deck in Ohio State's favor. They're playing, they're going to only play six games. Most likely they're going to win all of them against, quite frankly, inferior talent because the Big Ten is down. Their best game is going to be against IU, a team that's kind of middle of the road, but this year is playing above the rim. So good for IU, but Ohio State, you haven't played anyone, quite frankly, that impresses me, all right? Go ahead and play Clemson twice and then go to the playoffs and then let's see what happens. Let's think of this another way. USC is going to be playing Washington this weekend for the Pac-12 championship. USC most likely is going to beat UW. USC will then be 6-0. So why then is USC a 6-0 team, a team from the West Coast, a team with a lot of history and and, uh, a a catchy fight song and, and terrible colors but why the hell are they not getting uh, a look at 
it's it's all this optics bs well ohio state passes the eye test the eye test really well let me consider this is if the eye chart is the big giant fucking e that's up on the wall and they're getting that right sure they pass the eye test all right good on you guys very good i'm not going to get into the whole hypothesis of this team is playing this team and if this happens and this team loses and this team wins and ohio state you know does their thing right and start projecting out bulls and playoffs and that sort of thing that's not what tonight's podcast is about but so we'll leave that for next week but we needed to touch on this tonight. This is really, really bothering me. Had to have that rant. Thank you. As Notre Dame completes their prep this week, we'll face off against Clemson for the second time this season. I would like this week's toast to go out to Notre Dame's uh, Vice President and Director of Athletics, Jack Swarbrick. Savvy Jack has, I think, done a marvelous job this season. He has been able to negotiate Notre Dame, specifically their football program, from an independent situation during all this COVID virus scare, has allowed Notre Dame Athletics to join the ACC, a group of people that are relatively level-headed, level-minded, and give Notre Dame, number one, a legit season. A legit 10-game season. Originally was 11, but 10 games, it's going to be no less than the other teams, unless you're like BYU or something. But also having the courage to go out there, step outside of the comfort zone, and put Notre Dame in the ACC this season, saying, hey, let's try this on. Let's try this new thing. Not being afraid to do that and face a lot of criticism I'm sure he got. Now, me personally, I am a fan of Notre Dame joining the ACC full-time. Go back to episode one of this po- of this uh, podcast series to n- learn more and why but he has successfully led Notre Dame's athletics and Notre Dame's football program to navigate this virus situation set up an environment within the football program and to put Notre Dame here so this week's toast goes to you Jack Swarbrick so i heard a very nasty nasty rumor on twitter Notre Dame and Clemson should not even play for the title of the ACC championship they should just sit tight buy buy their time and not risk either team losing and both of them will then be de facto entry uh, members into the college football playoff first of all fuck that idea whoever said that was a good idea terrible idea all right these are the sissies who are number one afraid of a challenge they probably are, are touting Notre Dame only being independent and, and do not want to even have any, quote, risk to the schedule. They do not want to challenge. And these are the same day, same people that skip leg day when they go to the gym, all right? They're only working arms and, and moving on an elliptical or something. Notre Dame has worked very hard. You're in this situation. This is what you signed up. Have the courage. Have the integrity to finish what you started. You signed up in the ACC, not just to have a season, but to, damn it, let's win this thing, all right? This may not be a big deal to other people, but this is a really big deal to me personally, and I think to Notre Dame in general. Clearly, Notre Dame has been this independent team ever since the Newt Rockty days all the way to the present. We have been criticized for not joining a conference, and this year we actually do it. 
Let's go ahead and prove people wrong that says we can do this and we can legitimately compete for a conference title. All these other naysayers, they can go go screw themselves, all right? And Notre Dame, can you do it? I think you can. This is probably the only time, Notre Dame fan, that you will ever see Notre Dame fighting for an ACC championship or any conference title for that matter. As the song I played at the intro, you have one shot to prove it. One shot. Do you have what it takes? Stand up to the mic, sing it, do it, all right? This is a very difficult task. Very difficult. Not only do you have Notre Dame's history and pretty much all of college football will be watching you because they want to put you down. They want you to lose. But can you also play a team you've already played and beaten once? It's one thing if we had lost a month or two ago and then we're come back and now this is the revenge game, okay? Notre Dame would still be an underdog, I believe. But I think we would be spotted more points had we been the underdog. Now that we've already beaten Clemson once, Clemson is going to be extra juiced up for this game. And if they lose, they may get bumped out of the playoffs with two losses. It's very, very possible. So they're going to have a little bit of desperation on their side. Not only that, Clemson is going to be defending their streak of ACC titles. They're the kings of the ACC They've been that way, I believe, five years running, and they do not want to step down off of that platform. They are comfortable and very happy up there going to the playoffs, etc., as champions of the ACC, and they've been living that for five straight years. Now the new kid on the block, the Fighting Irish, come in, and we are legitimately in a position to knock them off of that post. Finally, Clemson is representing all other teams in the ACC. Again, Notre Dame is kind of like this half-brother we have over here, redheaded and Irish and all that, comes over one year, steals the trophy, and then leaves. I don't think so. The ACC is not happy with that. We as Notre Dame fans, of course, that's what we want. But in addition to that, I think Clemson is not only representing the ACC, but they're representing all big power five conferences in some weird way. All these other schools, you know, name one of them. I don't care if it's Virginia, if it's Arizona State, Ohio State, Michigan, Minnesota, Alabama. It doesn't matter. All these big schools that are in big power five conferences are going to be watching this because Notre Dame is this new guy, well-known team coming in finally joining a conference. Clemson represents everybody else. So we will see what Notre Dame is made of. Can they stand up to this challenge? Can they handle the pressure? Can they handle the spotlight? Because of that, this significance, this importance, this is a very unique opportunity. I place this game in the exact same category as, say, a New Year's Six Bowl, a Rose Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Orange Bowl, whatever. A conference championship not only will be a unique achievement for Notre Dame and Brian Kelly, quite frankly, but it is something that we will probably maybe never ever see in our lifetime. Personally, I hope we see it again and again, but that's my opinion, not reality. Because 
Notre Dame is not now playing in the regular season. They're kind of in that postseason section of their schedule. Is Notre Dame going to put names on the back of their jerseys? We do that in the bowl games every year. Are they going to do that this Saturday? I don't know. I kind of hope they do. Just just get it over with. Get used to having names on the jerseys. And then I'm a superstitious person. I kind of don't like this. You do this one thing. I don't like one thing. I like symmetry. I like order. I like things being done again and again and again. Repetition. And either have the names on the jerseys all the time or don't have them at all. I don't like this. Just do it this one time. Personally, I actually think Notre Dame should put names on the back of the jerseys because then it's easier to identify the players on the field. But that's just my opinion, right? Um, I think it looks cool. Other people say, oh, no, don't do that because this one team, you know, names on the jerseys or not, it doesn't help a team win or lose either way. All right. The team identity is independent of names on the back of the jerseys. I, I don't care what anybody says. Fight me at me on Twitter, faithful underscore Irish. I'll argue with that one left and right. Since this is a game that is similar to a New Year's Six, in my opinion, Notre Dame actually will get two of these at least in a row. Let me explain. Notre Dame is going to have the conference championship this Saturday. Win or lose, they're going to be in the playoff or they're going to the Orange Bowl. It doesn't matter. So therefore, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame... He has two opportunities to win two big games back-to-back. Ideally, I would hope it's three, but we'll leave that out there. I really want Notre Dame to win three in a row, but we'll see. The last three times Notre Dame has played in a New Year's Six Bowl game has not gone well. Let's recap that just to remind ourselves of our past sins. Let's pour some booze as we talk about our sorrows here. First, most recently, Notre Dame versus Clemson. In 2018, Notre Dame lost 30 to 3. 2015, Notre Dame loses to Ohio State 44-28. And in 2012, Notre Dame loses to Alabama 42 to 14. If you ever want to really feel bad about yourself and just kind of be mad and angry at the world, rewatch the Notre Dame Alabama game. It's not pretty. Just watch the first quarter and you'll be done. It's terrible. But that leads me to a key point. Being the stat person I am, I went and painfully went back, looked at the game summary stats of these three games, the three biggest games Brian Kelly has ever coached for Notre Dame, and they've all been losses and they've all been bad. The best one is the Ohio State one, but we still lost by 16. Other than the average scoring margin being a loss of 23.7 points the thing that stands out the most is there's one explosive quarter by our opponent that sets the tone and then it's it's done after that we actually on the on the scoreboard it's even after that in 2012 the first quarter was absolutely atrocious technically alabama only put 14 points up but for all intents and purposes it was 21 because at the first play of the second quarter they scored again for the third time in a row 21 to 0 so first quarter in the alabama game the ohio state game same thing ohio state scored 14 unanswered points in the first quarter in 2018 it was the closest quote unquote in the very close first quarter But the second quarter, Clemson scored 21 points. It was crazy. Notre Dame has allowed that 
pointgasm to happen by these other very good teams, and they've happened in the first half. Notre Dame this weekend versus Clemson cannot let that happen. They're an explosive. They're a good team. They have a lot of firepower, and we have to lock them down early in the game. We cannot allow them to have an explosive quarter anytime in the first half. There's also other common threads to Notre Dame's performance. First off, they're rushing. The rushing was shut down. On average, Notre Dame ran for 80 yards versus their opponent, who ran 253 yards on average. Yards per carry, 2.7 versus 5.6. Another thing is play selection. Notre Dame, on average, threw the ball 56% of the time or ran only 44. I've been touting 60% all season. Their opponent, on average, ran 58%. The best was actually Ohio State. They ran 64%. Now, Notre Dame's passing yards on offense has been decent and actually about on par. Notre Dame averages 238 yards passing their opponent 267. However, if you deep dive into that, in 2012, Notre Dame threw, with Everett Golson, 270 yards. Alabama, 264. So more passing yards for Notre Dame. Ohio State only threw for 211 yards with JT Barrett. Notre Dame and Deshaun Kaiser threw for 284. But 2018, Trevor Lawrence threw up 327 yards to Notre Dame and Ian Book's 160. So passing the ball has not helped Notre Dame in these big games, which is why I'm so encouraged by this year, 2020, Notre Dame is running the ball well and sticking to that. More to come on that later. Also, turnovers. Notre Dame has exactly one more turnover than all of their opponents in all of these games. Uh, in two of the games, they had two turnovers. In 2012, they only had one. Last two points. Third down percentage has been atrocious in these games. 31% on average versus 56. Time of possession, 42% of the game, Notre Dame held the ball versus their opponent, 58%. And the worst was 2012. Alabama had the ball all the time, it seemed. Alabama held the ball 64% of the entire football game. So why do I bring this up, Notre Dame fan? We need to be reminded of our, our sins. We need to be reminded and reflect on when we're in a big game, what has happened. This can't happen again. I've just laid out for you what Notre Dame needs to do to avoid this. What are the mistakes we have made repeatedly, almost three years, three times, these is, this has happened. And all three times, all of these things have happened. Run the ball well stop the run, execute on third down, control time of possession, at least make it competitive. If we're even with these other teams, okay, that's one thing. If it's a 50-50 split on third down percentage and time of possession and it's just a fist fight in the mud, okay, that's fine. But it has been very one-sided and slanted versus these other teams, and we've been the imposter. As I did this research and then reflected back to the present, I realized something. If the playoff was today, just today, who would the teams be? Alabama would be number one, Notre Dame would be number two, and Clemson and Ohio State would probably be three and four. It doesn't really matter who is who. But Notre Dame is playing Clemson this weekend. Let's assume Notre Dame wins, Ohio State wins, and of course Alabama wins. Ohio State will most likely 
move to the number three spot and someone like Texas A&M will take number four, is, which is what I think should happen. Then Notre Dame will play Ohio State. Assuming Notre Dame beats Ohio State first round of the playoffs in the Sugar Bowl, I think, they'll probably play Alabama for a national championship. That means the three teams Brian Kelly has played in a New Year's Six style bowl and lost badly, in theory, he can rectify that and cleanse all of that this season with every single team has, that has done that to him. Reflect on that. Ponder on that. Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Notre Dame could play those three teams for the next three games in theory if they keep winning. That would be one of the most amazing feats I could possibly think of. The most difficult, monumental challenge But this is the best team Brian Kelly has ever had. Best team Notre Dame has probably seen on the football field since 1993. Think about that and let that give you a little bit of confidence to that possible scenario. Now, in episode 14, gosh, that's like seven weeks ago, (laughs) Notre Dame played Clemson. And I laid out and looked at Clemson's losses since 2015 looked at those statistics, and those statistics still hold true. Now, I'm not going to come on this podcast and regurgitate all that, you know, upchuck all of that, and just repeat myself like a broken record like on other podcasts. I'm not going to do that. Instead, yes, those things are still true, and go back to episode 14 if you want to hear that. What I did, though, is looking at the games that have been the roughest or toughest For Clemson this season what are those three games and what is common in those games and then we can extract out from this season Clemson and how Notre Dame if they do those things can help them win so what is that first the games clearly Notre Dame and then Boston College and Virginia Tech there are moments in those games where Clemson did not look impressive did not look good and they definitely struggled for a period. Now, two of them are wins, and of course, one is a loss to us, but what is common? So I looked at those stats, and I've come up with the following. First off, the opponent has come out faster than Clemson. On average, in those three games, Clemson has scored eight points in the first quarter, six in the second, and then 12 and 13 in the third and fourth. Versus for the whole season, including those three games, Clemson on average scores 14, then 13, then 9, then 8. So it's very front heavy. But in these other games, it's been very back heavy. So if Notre Dame has a shot, they need to hold Clemson to the amount of points that they did in South Bend a few weeks ago. That's all they have to do. And what did I also say? In the three games that Notre Dame has gotten their ass kicked in a New Year's Six, what happened? The opponent came out fast. So Notre Dame cannot allow that to happen. So Notre Dame, number one, outscore them in the first half and come out fast, get the kickoff in this particular situation, and then use that to your advantage. There are a few other stats that Clemson has struggled with in these three games that are less than their season average. First off is the sheer number of plays they have run. On average, they have run 67 plays in 
those three games versus the season 76. The run and pass percentage is about this on par, so they're not deviating from the plan. There's their efficacy is is not going through. On average, they have rushed for not that many yards. 126 yards in these three games versus 158. Now, Notre Dame's defensive rushing is clearly skewing that, and Vatek is not helping, but the numbers are what they are. 126 yards on average. Passing yards are about the same. We won't even go into that. Completion percentage has been slightly down, but for two of those games, Uwe Ungalale has been playing. Turnovers, they've had 0.5 more turnovers in those struggling games, and they've had less sacks, about one less sack than they have for the overall season average. But the biggest things that jump out at me are time of possession. Clemson averages holding the ball only 46% of the time in these three games versus their season average of 52%. And the worst was actually Clemson and Virginia Tech. Clemson only had the ball 37% of the time versus Vatek 63. Versus Notre Dame, they it was almost dead even, 49-51. Third down percentage, though, has been terrible for Clemson in these three games. 35% versus the season average of 46%. Now, Notre Dame in all these categories is better than Clemson in all of them. We have less turnovers on the season. We have a higher time of possession, about 57%. Third down percentage, 52%. Yards per carry, clearly higher. Run percentage, clearly higher. More more plays in general as well. So if Notre Dame follows the same formula for defeating Clemson as they did before, this is one thing that you can pull out for them. This is These are the numbers. This is the efficacy of that labor. So that's Clemson as a whole. Clemson on the macro level. But let's zoom in on their players. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about Trevor Lawrence. Everyone is talking about quarterbacks. Everyone is talking about how great Trevor Lawrence is. And he is a very good quarterback. He's very, he's like 6'5". He's got a great arm. Um, He has great vision. He knows the playbook very well. And he has great touch on the ball. And he can put it wherever he wants on the football field. That's not the issue. And he's also going to throw probably no better than DJ Uyunglele against Notre Dame that he did in South Bend. So I'm not going to go into, oh, Trevor Lawrence is back and now they have this great advantage. I don't think it that way. I think instead of who he's handing the ball off to in a run or who he's throwing it to in a pass. The way Notre Dame beats Clemson, now looking at the body of work they have produced this season, I looked at the number one important stat, which is total touchdowns. The number one touchdown scorer for Clemson is Travis Etienne. He has 12 rushing touchdowns. If we just look at rushing, Clemson as a whole has 29. So Etienne has 41% of all of their rushing touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence has six at 20%, and then Chez Malusi has 10% at three. Now, in the games that they have struggled, those three games, Notre Dame, Boston College, and Virginia Tech, those three athletes have, their production is significantly less. Now, granted, Trevor Lawrence was not in for one of them, so his average is, you know, what it is. But 
the point still remains. If we can limit the efficacy of these three guys rushing the football, then Notre Dame's opportunities for success are higher. Next, passing. True or false, they have more touchdowns passing than they do rushing. That would be false. They have less receiving touchdowns than they do from rushing. They have 27. Their number one receiver with six touchdowns is Amiri Rogers. Second is Cornell Powell with five on the season. And then tight end Davis Allen has four. Now, these three men combined have an average of 0.3, and 0.3 touchdowns per game in those games they struggle, which is almost less than their entire season. The only outlier is Cornell Powell, who on the season has 0.5, but in these three games, he was relied on more, and he has 0.6. Therefore, Notre Dame needs to key in on Amiri Rodgers and Cornell Powell. Those are the two best receivers for Clemson, and then look at their tight end, Davis Allen, which is totally a linebacker thing. And with Jeremiah Usukoromoa and Drew White, I am confident that can happen. So in summary, Notre Dame needs to limit the carries of Travis Etienne, Chesma Lucy, whoever their running back is, and then those three receivers. Now, Trevor Lawrence can run, and he can score with his feet, but he only has six for the season. He is not Vince Young. He is not Reggie Bush. He is not the most mobile quarterback, like a Tim Tebow kind of guy. Therefore, we need to contain the running back and stick and play good defense to the receivers. If Trevor Lawrence gets out in space, first off, he's not the fastest guy, though he has a long stride, but we can still stop him, and we will knock him down. He will risk injury, more likely. He will also get tired if if he's scrambling a lot. And our defensive line is one of the best in the country. So rather than try to contain Trevor Lawrence and worry about that crap, contain the running back and contain the other guys who are more lethal in their ability to score and to get and what happens to those guys if they get out in space. Just to recap some other stats about Notre Dame versus Clemson, Dabo Sweeney for his career now is .813 on his win percentage versus Brian Kelly's .734 at Notre Dame. Right now head-to-head, Brian Kelly is still losing, now one game to two. Uh, Four-year recruiting averages in Clemson's favor. They are ranked ninth on average, while Notre Dame is 13.25. We're ahead of them in the playoffs, but Sagarin still has Clemson ahead of us at three. We are at six in Sagarin. But our strength of schedule has moved up. We're 64th versus Clemson's 67th. Now, some of these stats are still in Clemson's favor, but let's highlight some that are in Notre Dame's favor. First, Rushing defense, Notre Dame is 7th in the country, 99 yards averaging for their opponent versus Clemson's 105. Rushing touchdowns, Notre Dame is 2nd in the country, we have 30. Third down defense, we are 2nd in the country at 26%. Clemson is 11th with 30% third down defense. And scoring defense, Notre Dame is 12th. Averaging their opponents to 17.1, and Clemson is 15th at 18.3. So though Notre Dame does have the advantage, the spread between them is not very good. Some other things of note, 
third down percentage, Notre Dame ranked ninth at 51% versus Clemson's 45% on the season. And rushing yards, clearly Notre Dame, 12th in the country at 235 yards. Clemson, on average, 158 yards. Time of possession, Notre Dame 56% to Clemson's 51. And run percentage, Notre Dame at 59%. Now, Clemson can score. They are number one in total touchdowns. They have 59 fifth in scoring offense, averaging 46 points a game. Some of these other items, total defense, they edge out Notre Dame, eighth in the country versus Notre Dame's 12th. They have more sacks and tackles for loss on average per game than Notre Dame. Their passing yards clearly are, are, are better, and their pass defense is also better than Notre Dame. The thing that scares me the most about Notre Dame and the disparity and the uh, difference in stats is red zone red zone touchdown percentage notre dame is 77th in the country only scoring a touchdown 60 percent of the time clemson is 22nd averaging set a touchdown 72 percent of the time and then overall scoring notre dame is 81st so this includes field goals at 80 percent we only score in the red zone 80 percent of the time clemson's almost 90 percent they're at 87 percent so there is quite a range there of disparity between Notre Dame and Clemson. And that is the one Achilles heel I could possibly come up with here. The last thing I want to scare you with is yards per point. It's the stat that I talk about every week. Notre Dame averages 12.58 yards for every point they put on the scoreboard versus Clemson's much more efficient number of 1096 if you're under 11 or 11.8, which is the national champion average over the last 10 years, you're doing something very right. So what does this come down to? Defense wins championships. I've been saying that again and again and again. Other than scoring touchdowns, rush defense and third down defense and total defense has to happen. And Notre Dame has two of those three locked in. And if they play with hard, awesome defense this weekend that they had in their last meeting, Notre Dame will be successful. Which brings me to this other point of the news announced today. Notre Dame, their defensive coordinator, Clark Lee, most likely will be leaving Notre Dame this season. He is going to take the Vandy job, and he's going to be an SEC head coach. Though I do not like this news, this certainly does not surprise me. If you're a professional person and someone who has aspirations for your life, your career, your goals personally, uh, you want to be a head coach someday. Now, maybe this is some weird, and there's all sorts of theories about there out there about what's going to happen when Kelly leaves. And maybe this is this feeds into that. We need Clark Lee to get some head coach experience, and if he's decent at it at Vandy, he can come back and be the head coach at Notre Dame after Kelly retires. Who knows? I'm not going to put any eggs in that basket, but. That is one of them out there to be. But quite frankly, I just think that's a silver lining. I wish Clark Lee the best. I wish he would stay. I wish he would be a lifelong uh, Notre Dame commit as a defensive coordinator that has taken Notre Dame to great heights. Um, We'll have to do a recap of how awesome this year's defense is compared to other Notre Dame defenses. But Clark Lee has been doing an amazing job. Uh, ever since 2018 
last year and this season. It's fantastic. So good luck to him. This is certainly something that maybe could impact the psyche of the team. This game already has enough emotion built into it. I've already talked about a lot of that at the beginning of this podcast. The biggest thing is respect. Notre Dame, when they played Clemson the first time, was the underdog. They won 47-40 to in two overtimes, and they were a five-and-a-half-point underdog on November 7th. They won and told everyone to shut the hell up. Now, sitting at number two in the country, undefeated, and replaying Clemson, they're now a 10-point underdog. Are you kidding me? Are you saying that Lawrence is worth 10 points or 15 points or whatever the hell that is? Is it because Notre Dame's already beat them and it's hard to do it twice? Is it because Clemson had a lot of their players injured and Notre Dame didn't? Who knows? All I know is that Notre Dame is still the underdog and they need to play with a chip on their shoulder. Everyone out there is giving Notre Dame zero respect and saying, you can't beat Clemson again. You don't belong. You don't belong in the conference. Go back to your games at 3.30 in the afternoon on NBC in comfortable South Bend, and that's where you belong, Notre Dame. My message to the players this week, it's not going to be as epic as the last game, but everyone's telling you that you're going to lose. Everyone's telling you you don't deserve a conference title. I've saved this till the end. I have not told you what scotch I am drinking. This is not a distraction from a message to the players. This this feeds into that. This week's scotch is a Shackleton blended malt scotch whiskey. Shackleton, if you don't know your history, was an explorer of Antarctica and led an expedition to Antarctica to be the first Antarctica continent uh, crossing. The expedition was a complete failure where their ship, the Endurance, was trapped in the ice flow and they had to abandon ship and survive out on the ice flow. Against crazy, crazy odds, the entire expedition survived. Every man on this expedition lived. No one died in the most dire of circumstances. My point is this, just as Shackleton had to step up to the challenge before him against impossible odds, so too does Notre Dame this weekend. The odds are very much stacked against them. Everyone in the media expects you to lose players. Everyone thinks that you can't do it. Your defensive coordinator is now leaving and going somewhere else. So the question I have is, are you going to allow this negativity to impact you? Are you going to allow adversity to take hold on you? Or do you have a chip on your shoulder instead? Or do you have the mentality of, well, we'll show you, we'll prove you wrong. Rather than have your focus be outward, have it be inward. Show yourself that you deserve it. Show yourself that you have what it takes to beat Clemson a second time. You know the battle before you. If you're Ben Skoranek or Javon McKinley, you've faced that cornerback who's going to be guarding you already. You know how to beat him. So go do it. What are you waiting for? Show yourself and show your teammates. And that's it. 
You don't have to prove to anything to anyone in the media, not even me running this podcast. Prove to yourself that you guys deserve this. You've earned this. You are the ACC champion of 2020, the craziest year we'll probably ever see. You deserve this title because you've worked for it. You've earned it. You've come together over crazy odds to be in this position. So go take it and go get that trophy and then go to the playoffs and kick some ass.